So uh, if you are visiting here this morning, we're actually in a series right now. It's called A Questionable Life. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about that in a second. But before I do, I want to kind of set up the subject matter for this morning. So I want to ask you a question. I want you to think of something right now that makes you angry. All right, what is it in your, you haven't got to shout it out, uh, what is it that makes you angry? Okay, hopefully it's not the person sat next to you right now. Hopefully it's um, something outside of this room, outside of this environment. What is it that you're like, oh man, I just always find myself losing my temper in that situation. Let me help you out here. Uh, maybe it's this, maybe it's checkout lines. And if you ever find yourself just getting oh, so angry, I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I get to the lines and they're like equidistance to the front, you know, it looks like they've both got three or four people each. I'm like, I just know whichever line I choose here, the other one will move quicker. I get in the line and then if you're like me, you like set someone there. You're like, okay, that would be me if I'd got in that line. And you watch the other you get in and you're like, come on, how, what's happening here? I was, I was at Walmart recently, and um, I was checking out, and I got this, this line moved pretty quickly, but then I got to the front, and the keypad wasn't working, so the lady's like, I'm going to have to call my, my manager, and uh, the manager just kind of comes walking by, and she's like, uh, Susan, Susan, and the, she just walks on by, and I'm like, oh, I've got to call out, I don't know. So we waited there another couple of minutes, she's like, <laughs> and then Susan comes by again, she's like, Susan, and just get off she goes, I'm like, Susan, because <laughs> I'm going to be here all day, come on. So Susan came over and she fixed it, but, but me, checkout lines aren't great, so uh, maybe you're like laid back, patient, you just love the extra time you get just to check Facebook, check your iPhone, whatever it is. But maybe for you though, what gets you angry is this, referees. Okay, maybe it's your kids, the referee just seems to be making all the calls for the other team, and you're like, ref, have you ever played soccer before? Come on, look what's going on here, or basketball, or football. Maybe uh, you're like the guy in that picture, and you're like, you call that a flip of a coin? Come on! <laughs> like, you just, you're an armchair angry person. You just sit there watching, you're like, guys, yeah, a terrible call. Come on, these calls are all going the wrong way. How about this? Behind the wheel. All right, little confession time. If there is something that just gets my anger going, it's this seat right here. If I'm going to lose my temper, if I'm going to get angry, it's going to be in the car. I just, oh man, there are, there are times and I get angry too quickly over things like this, but you know, when the two lanes are merging into one and you know the guy next to you sees you and you're like, dude, come on, just, just let me in, but he's moving along at the same, you're like, come on, I'm right here, let me in. Or you're in the fast lane and the car in front of you is just going slow. Uh, as I said, I was out of town this week and uh, Friday, I think it was, I was on the phone with Casey who was back here in Washington and uh, I'm, I'm in an airport a thousand miles away. And I'm talking to her on the phone. She's in the van, so I'm talking to her through the Bluetooth. And uh, she's, as we're talking, she's like, ah, oh, come on. And I was like, what is it? She goes, well, I'm at uh, Walmart. <laughs> Again, sorry, Walmart, if you're here this morning. Uh, she goes, I'm in, I'm in the parking lot, and uh, the lady in front of me has stopped because she wants to get a space. It's a really close space to the front, and there's somebody in the car, but they've not pulled out yet. In fact, I think they're just sitting there smoking a cigarette. And this woman in front is just waiting. She's like, come on, just pull off and find another space. I'm a thousand miles away. I'm getting angry. And I'm like, oh, that's so annoying. Come on. <laughs> so for me, it's behind the wheel of a car. Maybe for you, maybe for you, it's, it's here, Facebook. Are you one of those people that you just, sometimes you get reading a post or you get, you get in, a, in, a, in a group or something, and you start seeing people going backwards and forwards, and you're like... Or maybe you're one of the people who gets angry on Facebook. Yeah, well, let me tell you what I think. 
and you're watching it and reading it, you're going, oh, this just isn't good. There's a, there's a couple of groups I belong to on Facebook, and I really need to just unsubscribe. Because I find myself sometimes just going into those groups and reading the discussions that are going on, and it's, it's, it's making me angry just reading it. But it's like a car crash. You know, you know you shouldn't look at it. You know you should just avert your eyes, but you can't stop looking at this conversation. You're like, oh, people, what are you thinking? I'm like the guy that I want to... So how about this? When it comes to anger, maybe the question we should ask ourselves is, where are we on the anger meter? Where are we on the anger meter? Are you like Mr. Laidback, Mrs. Laidback? You're just always hovering around the bottom there. You're at a very happy, happy all of the time. And it takes a lot to move you up that meter because you're super patient and you're super laid back. Or are you the person who's like, man, I zip up there. I mean, I'm moving through happy, sad, upset. I mean, it doesn't take much. And before you know it, I'm up the top there. I'm rage. If you see the movie Inside Out, I'm the little red guy who's like, I am putting the foot down. And smoke comes out. Because that's probably more of a, of a gauge, isn't it, of, on how quickly do we get angry? How quickly do we lose our temper? You see, this series we're, we're in right now, it's called A Questionable Life. And we're considering the idea that in 2016, those of us here this morning that would uh, say that we're followers of Jesus, it's our desire to be more like him. Maybe a resolution of ours for this year is that we want to grow to become more like him, to, to live more like him, to see more of Jesus shining through in our lives. So, so our challenge in this series has been to, for all of us to live what I've called a questionable life. And the idea behind it is if we want to stand out from our friends, if we want people to see something different about us, whether it's our friends or our neighbors or our family members or our colleagues at work, if we want to stand out from them, what is it in our lives that's going to cause people around us to ask questions? What is it about us that, that may cause people to say, what is it about you? Why, why do you behave that way? Or in that situation, when everyone around you was responding this way, how is it that you didn't respond how is it that you didn't respond that way? You actually chose to respond differently. What is it that's different about you? That's what I'm talking about when I talk about a questionable life. It's the kind of life that because of our desire to follow Jesus, because of our desire to see Jesus shining through us, it actually causes people around us to question us, to ask questions of the life that we're living. And why is this important? Well, I think it's important because if, like me this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, then you want others to experience that as well. Jesus has, has changed my life. Makes such a difference. We talked leading up to Christmas about the joy and the peace and the hope that you can experience as a follower of Christ. The difference he's made in the good times and the bad, just knowing that he's with me, knowing that one day when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven with God because of the relationship that I have with Jesus. I want others to experience that relationship too. I want others to know Jesus the way that I, want, that I know Jesus. And many times, I think, sometimes we, we, we feel a little afraid and, and we're not sure how we can share that with others. I want you to experience Jesus like me, but I'm not sure how to bring that up in conversation. I don't, I don't want to be known as somebody who, who preaches, you know, or who's always on their high horse going on about this, that, or the other. And so, so we're kind of unsure about that. And the idea of having a, a questionable life is that every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a story we can tell of what Jesus has done in our lives. And we may feel that pressure sometimes to share that story, but the reality is that I don't think we have to stand on a podium or stand on a soapbox because when you choose to live differently, 
When you choose to follow Jesus and it affects the way you live your life, I think it puts you in places where people ask questions. Why is it that you, that questionable kind of life? And then in that moment, we can follow the advice of Paul. We looked at this verse in our introduction week a couple of weeks ago where he was writing to the Colossians. He said, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul's saying there's the key right there. Don't feel the pressure to have to, to you know, stand up and preach because there'll come a point where people will ask questions. Why did you respond that way? Why didn't you respond that way? Those relationships you have. And in that moment, you may know how to answer everyone. Paul is saying that we should live in such a way that we're ready to answer the questions that are asked of us. So what does any of this have to do with being angry? Well, this week I wanted to focus on that idea of anger. I want to talk about the subject of anger. And, and if we're followers of Jesus here this morning, what does that look like in our lives? What does it look like to have a, a questionable anger? Now, I know some of you this morning, you're already thinking, great. This is going to be a rough morning. He's about to tell me that anger is a sin and that I'm a terrible person because I get angry and, and I'm busted. I'm, I, I know this is something that I deal with and, and just, you know, I've got to think back too much. If I, if I have to think back to the last time I got angry, it happens in the car on the way to church this morning in the discussion I got into with my wife or my kids or, you know, and now I'm going to feel terrible for the next 20 minutes as he talks all about anger. But before you check out on me completely, hold on. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Jesus. I think you're going to be a little surprised this morning as we look at this subject through the lens of the life of Jesus. You see, throughout this series, we've been talking about what it means to live a questionable life. And we keep coming back to the fact that if there was one person that ever lived a life worthy of questioning, it was Jesus. All around him, people were always questioning him. His followers, his friends, his critics, his enemies were constantly asking Jesus questions. Because he lived so differently. His lifestyle and what he taught was so countercultural to the society in which he found himself. You know, the Pharisees were constantly on Jesus' back. They were asking him questions, they were pushing his buttons. And listen to what is said of Jesus in one of these interactions in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. It says, when the Pharisees refused to answer Jesus' questions, he looked around at them in anger. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. So we're reading here that actually Jesus was angry. And some of us are now thinking, all right, that's good news. We are going to finish that discussion in the car on the way home. Yes. But listen, I want to show here this morning because it's not quite that simple. You see, we're going to see that there are times when Jesus actually did get angry. In fact, in a moment, we're going to look at one of the most famous times of Jesus' display of anger. But what we're going to be able to discover is that Jesus was able to, to experience this anger and yet still live a life with no sin. How is that possible that Jesus was able to experience anger and yet still live a life with no sin? You see, many times I think we think of anger as a selfish, destructive emotion that we should eradicate from our lives altogether. But the fact is that Jesus sometimes became angry. 
In fact, I think that indicates that anger itself as an emotion is actually amoral. It's neither immoral or moral. It's neither good nor bad. Anger itself has no um, morality to it. It's what we do with the anger, where we take it from there. That's what we need to be mindful of. Paul explained it this way when he was writing to the Ephesians. He says, in your anger, do not sin. That's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. So what Paul's saying there is there'll be times where you'll get angry, but don't sin. He was kind of saying the two will, one will lead to the other. One can happen on its own, but don't let it go to the point to where you sin. So Paul's saying, listen, there is a time to be angry, but don't let that anger take to a point where you cross a line into what the Bible calls sin. You know, on that anger meter that we showed earlier, the angry meter, maybe for you it's, it's figuring out where that line is. For some of us, it's a three. For some, it's like an eight. But, but we know where our line is, and we know from our own experience, it's like, man, that, that got me angry. But you know what? I, I recognize the point where I blew it. That was the point where I said something that I really shouldn't have said. That was the point where I did something that really can't be undone. That's when my anger pushed me into a point of, of hurting someone, affecting someone else. That's where my anger crossed into sin. James, another writer in the New Testament, says this. He says in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You see, I think there's some things that we can learn from Jesus here this morning when it comes to anger. Like I said, there was this group they were called the Pharisees, and they were always pushing Jesus' buttons and always um, just, just really pushing him and pressuring him. Jesus had many opportunities to display anger and to lose his temper and to cross that line that we were talking about into sin. And yet somehow we read that Jesus never, ever sinned. He was able to experience anger without crossing the line into sin. So how did he do that? Well, there's a few ways I think that we can learn from Jesus. One is that he knew when the time was to withdraw. We have to know when we need to withdraw. There are several incidents of this throughout the New Testament. I'll pick a couple of them here in Matthew. One is when Jesus healed someone. He said, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. There was another time in Matthew 16 where he got into uh, an argument with the Pharisees over uh, whether or not he really was the Messiah, the Son of God. They were saying, if you really are who you say you are, show us some signs, do this, do that. And in the moment, it says that he walked away. There were times when Jesus knew, listen, I need to walk away from here. And maybe for some of us, that's the first step in resolving um, a, an anger problem that we may have. It's knowing when to walk away. It's knowing when to say, okay. I need to walk away. I need to distance myself from this situation. How about this one? Jesus knew how to pause in quiet to pray and think. You know, the best example of this is one day Jesus was out teaching a crowd of people and the religious leaders of the time, they brought this woman before him who'd been caught in the sin of adultery. They said, Jesus, we just caught this woman. She was with another man who wasn't her husband's. The law says that she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And they were trying to trap Jesus because they knew that he knew that that's what the law said and that really that's what should be done. 
But they also knew that he taught forgiveness and mercy and love and grace. So they knew that whichever decision he made, he was either going to go against forgiveness or go against the law. And they thought, we've got him in a trap. I think in that moment, Jesus had to be angry. He saw this poor woman who's been humiliated in front of these crowd of people just to make a point by these religious leaders. He looks all at them trying to trap him. He looks at this woman. He's probably got anger just rising up beside him. But the Bible says that he just knelt down on the floor. And we read that he, he paused for a long silence. It says actually as he was pausing, he was writing something in the sand. We don't know what he was writing, but he just paused in quiet to pray and think. Then after a moment, he kind of looked up and he said, okay, you're right. That is what the law says. So whichever one of you here is without sin, whichever one of you here has never done anything wrong yourselves, you throw the first stone. Go ahead. That way the law will be kept. You can go do it. And he says that one by one, they walked away because they knew that none of them could throw the stone. Every one of them had done something wrong. And in that moment, thanks to the wisdom of Jesus, um, the law was kept, but also mercy was shown. In a moment where Jesus really could have lost his temper, so some of us could have found ourselves in that moment and got angry and shouted and argued, but it says that he paused in quiet to pray and think. Here's another one. Stay calm. Jesus was great at this. The, the Pharisees, they accused him of being in league with the devil. And there's a great verse in Matthew chapter 12 where it says that Jesus calmly explained and then went on to explain his, his thoughts on this. But I love that line that Jesus calmly explained. When was the last time that we were in the midst of a discussion and we were able to calmly explain ourselves? The truth is that if we allow anger to get the better of us, before you know it, the, the, the conversation is rising and the voices are rising and it's louder and louder and the argument's getting bigger and bigger and, and we're getting angry. But Jesus calmly explained. The last thing that Jesus models to us so well is this idea of forgiving. We actually talked about this last week, that to live a questionable life means to live a life of being able to forgive others. And that's really hard to do. Because when you forgive someone who's hurt you in some way, whatever the level of hurt, when you forgive them, it's almost like you're letting them off the hook. They're getting away with it. But Jesus calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven. That's really difficult to do. But the truth is, Jesus modeled this. There was a time where Peter, uh, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny you know me three times. Peter says, Jesus, I'll never do that. And then Jesus is arrested, and, and three times Peter is questioned, are you with that man? Are you one of his followers? He says, no, I don't know who he is. I've never met him before. You know, after Jesus dies and rises again, one of the very first people he comes to see is Peter. Not to get angry, not to tell him off, not to say, I told you you would, but to forgive him. Even in his crucifixion, even in Jesus' death, one of the famous sayings of the cross is Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In a moment where we would just naturally think that anger should be the response, Jesus chooses forgiveness. So many ways there where staying calm or forgiving or knowing when we need to withdraw, pausing in quiet to pray and think that can help us in our day-in, day-out life if we're trying to um, tone down the anger meter, pull down that so, so those points where we don't lose our temper. That's what, that's what I call predictable anger. That's the anger that everyone else experiences. But as followers of Jesus, we should be striving to say, no, I don't want to be known as somebody who's angry like that. 
But here's the crazy thing. We're going to talk about a time now when Jesus got angry. And I'm going to challenge you this morning when you leave to say, do you have that same kind of anger that Jesus had in your life? It was in Matthew chapter 21, and some of you may recognize the story, but I'll read it anyway. It says that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts, and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, that my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. We see Jesus in this moment. His anger just gets the better of him. And he goes in and he turns over the tables and and he says, this has got to stop. Something's got to change. What is it about this that made Jesus so angry? You know, to understand this, you need to understand the temple in Jesus' day. You see, the temple was the center of Judaism in Jesus' time. It wasn't like today where there's a church building on every corner and you don't have to drive too far to get to church. And if you don't like this church, you go on to the next church. No, here in, in Jerusalem at this time, this was the church. This was the temple. People came from near and far to worship God in this single place. It was the center of worship, politics, and society. It was a place designed for worship to enable people to draw near to God. And instead, it's become a place of corruption and exclusion. Here's what I mean by that. Um, The corruption part, Jesus is angry at the exploitation of the poor. In verse 12, you notice that he overturns the table of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves. Doves were the sacrifices commonly made by the poor by those who couldn't afford to sacrifice a larger animal like a lamb. And Jesus is accusing the temple personnel of of turning this, what's meant to be a house of prayer, into a den of robbers because they were exploiting the disadvantaged through upcharges and and temple taxes. The poor, if they wanted to come in and just worship God, it was going to cost them more than it should have done. They were being exploited. And this makes Jesus angry. Jesus is reacting on behalf of the poor Because he's angry at what he sees. He's also angry that there's this flurry of religious activity and it's crowding out the outsiders. That all these tables of money changers and everything that's going on is crowding out the outsiders, the ones who came to just worship God. You see, here's what I mean by that. You can see the picture of the temple there on the screen. So, so the ch- temple was, was made up of concentric areas, kind of concentric um, circles, if you want, the, that you could go into worship God. So the outer area, the largest area where all these tables were, this is the area where everyone could come and worship God. Jews and Gentiles, male and female, they were all welcome to worship God in this area. But the next area in that was a little bit smaller... You could only enter that area if you were Jewish. And then then there was another area inside of that, and you could only enter that area if you were a Jewish male. Women weren't allowed into that area. So what that meant was that for a large group of people, the women and the Gentiles who, who weren't Jewish, the area in which they wanted to worship God, they were being crowded out by all these tables and all these money changers and all these um, people selling things. And this got Jesus angry. Can you imagine how you feel if we did that here at Connect Church? If when you arrived here this morning, someone greets you and said, hey, it's good to see you. Um, are you a follower of Jesus? 
awesome. Yeah, you can go right in the gym. Um, guys, you can sit in the chairs. Ladies, you have to sit at the back of the bleachers. Oh, wait, you, you didn't grow up in a Christian home? Yeah, I'm sorry. You're going to have to stay out in the foyer. <laughs> we'll open the doors, and hopefully you can hear us out there. But yeah, if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, then you have to listen from the cafeteria. Wait, what's that? You like country music? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're in the parking lot. Yeah, there's no room for you in here. I'm sorry. You're, you'll have to stay out there. It just wouldn't work, would it? And this is what's happening. People are coming here to worship God, to experience God. And they're being stopped from doing this in their poverty because they can't afford the charges, in their, their race because the area in which they would normally worship is keeping them um, apart. In fact, in Mark's account, Mark is another one of the writers in the New Testament of the life of Jesus, the story of the life of Jesus. In Mark's account, he says around this story, my, Jesus says, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations, yet as Gentiles arrive to the temple, the one place set aside for them to pray has become a den of robbers. Jesus sees this injustice, and it makes him angry. You see, here's the thing about Jesus' anger in this moment. His anger had the proper motivation. In other words, he was angry for the right reasons. Jesus' anger didn't arise from some kind of petty argument or personal slight against him. There was no selfishness involved in this. His anger had the proper focus. He wasn't angry at God or at the weakness of others. His anger was targeted towards sinful behavior and true injustice. What caused Jesus to live a questionable life is that others had just accepted this wrongdoing. Even the religious leaders allowed this to continue on in the temple. But Jesus, he couldn't ignore it. And the truth is this morning that um, if we as followers of Jesus want to live our lives after the, the example set by Jesus, not only should we strive to not be known as angry people who fly off the handle at the silliest of things. Now that's predictable anger. That's what many people who we work alongside and live alongside already deal with. As followers of Jesus, we don't want to be people uh, who are known for their predictable anger. But we should also be known as people who don't just passively turn a blind, blind eye. Who genuinely get angry at the sight of sinful behavior and injustice. That's questionable anger. And as followers of Jesus, we should be following the role here of Jesus, the example set by Jesus. That when we see injustice, when we see something wrong in the world we live in, we should say, you know, that's not right. There should be some anger that stirs up in us to say, I want to make a change here. I want to be a part of solving this problem, of stepping in and making a difference here. You know, tomorrow um, our kids are off school. We're celebrating. It's Martin Luther King Day. Here was a man who lived in, in our lifetime, a man who was a, a demonstration of somebody who couldn't just sit back who when he's confronted with injustice and wrong, he stood up with a righteous kind of anger and said, things have got to change. Check out this video clip. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities, 
We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. You know, in just the same way, if we are here this morning and would proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, then we should be calling out and stepping into change where we can the same kind of wrong behavior and injustice that happens around us today. But as I was studying for this message, and I'll be honest, I've never, I don't think I can remember ever preaching on anger before. But in this series of questionable life, as I was looking through Jesus' life and some of the areas that we can learn from him, some of the things that caused people to ask questions of him, why don't you get angry like some of us do, but why is it that this does get you angry? I thought, how can we as followers of Jesus live a life like his? And as I began studying this subject, I came across this, um, this thought here that, that sociologists bring, and it's called the dual narrative dynamic. And the dual narrative dynamic is what exists and sometimes stops us from getting angry when maybe we should be getting angry. You see, what the dual narrative dynamic is, is that we all grow up experiencing the world differently. We develop this narrative to help explain how the world works. It becomes our perspective on the world, and it's our default setting for how we view the world. Most of what we experience tends to reinforce our own narrative of the way things are. It's actually much easier to live with our own story than to listen to and try to understand the experience of others. However, when we do step out of our own narrative, when we try to understand the narratives of others, we develop what sociologists call this dual narrative dynamic. And I think as followers of Jesus, this will become very helpful for us in navigating through conflict and tense, difficult situations. Because you see, I think one of the reasons that it's so difficult to get fired up about injustice is that typically we look, through, um, the, uh, look at these situations through our lens and through our story and through our narrative. So what somebody could be saying, this is wrong, this is unfair, this is unjust, we don't think so, but that's because we've never experienced that. We've never been in that situation. This can happen in all sorts of situations in life, in our country, in our neighborhood, around the world. Take poverty, for example. Maybe we're here this morning and, and poverty doesn't affect us. We're very fortunate for the, the area in which we live or the home in which we grew up in. So, so our narrative sees something this way. So when we look at people who are growing up in poverty, we can tend to be judgmental maybe or look on and say, well, they should just get a job or do this or do that because, um, because of our lack of dual narrative, we only can see it through our lens. I'll explain what I mean by this. I was, um, we planted Connect. We started Connect here in 2013. And uh, prior to that, Casey and I, we were on staff at a church in Peoria called Riverside Community Church. Right next to Riverside Community uh, was a ministry that they established called the Dream Center. 
Dream Center is downtown in Peoria, and Dream Center exists to reach people that are living in poverty. They work a lot with people in the south end of Peoria and, and the north end there, the, the, the local north end, Taft Homes, those kind of projects, that kind of area. They do after-school programs for the kids. They do a, a clothing outreach. They do food outreaches. They do all sorts of things to help these people that are in poverty. So while on staff at Riverside, I got the opportunity to go into the Dream Center. And uh, in the Dream Center, there's a big gym like this where they play basketball. And they set up what they called a poverty simulation. Now, I didn't know what this was, but they had a bunch of us on staff and volunteers come in to experience these poverty or this poverty simulation. If you work in social services, you may be familiar with this. But what it was was they actually set up an environment so you would get to experience kind of a life in the, uh, a week in the life of somebody who maybe lives in an area like this. So initially they gave us all roles and uh, they handed out these cards and on the cards was written a little biography of who you were. So I got my card and my name was so-and-so and I was a single mum. And uh, next to me was this other person on staff and he was my son. He was 14 years old. And then they gave me a teddy bear and that represented my preschooler. That was like my baby. And that was it. It was just me and my son and my, my baby. And then around the gym, there was a police station. There was a, a center you could go to to get um, help. There was a center you could go to find jobs. There was a center you could go to to get um, bus passes for transportation and a school and these different areas. And at first, it was kind of comical. We're all working. We're all our friends together doing it. We're kind of laughing. Hey, look, this is, you're my son. <laughs> you know, we're just kind of enjoying this simulation. And so then they would blow a whistle, and you had five minutes. Five minutes represented one hour. So you had a one-hour time period, five minutes, to get what you need to get done. So I look on my list, and the first thing I had to do was go and get some bus passes. So I went to this place to get the bus passes. I was late getting there, so I had to wait in line. So then we're like, you're losing time here. We've got two minutes left, and I've got to get to the bus to get across town to this place where I had to go and sign up to get some aid. And I got there, and they, there was a wait there. And I'm like, well, you've got to hurry because I've got to get over here. And they're like, sorry, you've got to wait. And so I'm waiting, and then finally I get there, and they're like, you've got to fill out this form. I was like, that's a huge form. They're like, sorry, you've got to fill out. Oh, I fill out the whole form. I turn it in. They're like, okay, come back next week. And I was like, I need this today. They're like, well, we can't do this till next week now. You're out of time. I said, I couldn't help being out of time. I said, sorry, that's the rules. And now I've got to run. And, and I was getting more and more angry. I was getting more and more frustrated. I, at one point, I didn't get to the preschool in time to pick up my teddy bear. And I got in trouble because I'd left my teddy bear unattended and my child was at home and I couldn't get. And I started for a split second in this simulation, I got to experience just a little bit of what it was like living a life that I'd never, ever experienced. I started to get some, some anger at some of the injustices that I was experiencing and some of the, uh, just the different obstacles that someone in that kind of situation would have to get through. That's what it's like to live in this kind of dual narrative. Because think about it. The problem at the temple, it didn't affect Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. He was a man. He wasn't poor. The problem that he was challenging had nothing to do with Jesus himself. But he chose to step into the narrative of those who were suffering. He chose to step into the story of the poor and the outsider. And as a result, he was turning over tables. It was anger at what was being done. And sometimes there may be situations that we're presented with in our lives. And as followers of Jesus, we should have a questionable anger. We should say, you know, that doesn't affect me directly, but as I look on, that's not right. And I could do something to help that situation. So how do we take this out of here this morning? Maybe you're like me, and as, as I kind of studied this, I started to realize there's a difference between predictable anger and questionable anger. And I found myself asking, Jesus, what, what would it be like to experience questionable anger the way you demonstrated it? 
I think one of the most important steps we can take is to make an intentional decision to enter into the narratives of others, to engage in areas of poverty or injustice that are present in our neighborhoods or our cities or our world. You know, this three year through Connect, we're going to present opportunities for you to get engaged and to be a part of that. Megan came up here earlier and she shared about this fundraiser tomorrow night for Threads, Hope, and Love. This is an organization right here in Washington that we've partnered with and said, we want to come alongside you because as Megan has got more involved on behalf of Connect Cares, a, a group here at the church that does a lot of our social outreach, a lot of our caring ministry, they've realized this is a huge need. You'd be amazed at how many people just in our zip code and the surrounding areas are struggling in poverty and are able to come along and pick up clothing or supplies or toiletries. Megan said, when I, she said, the only reason I know about this place is because I went there one day to drop off some clothes. And they gave me the tour and they told me some of the stories about the people that they're helping. And she said, as they told me more and more stories, as I stepped into that narrative, I realized, I, this, is, this isn't right. I can do something to help. She's kind of heading that up, and you're going to hear more as the year goes on of areas that you can be involved through Connect with Threads, Hope, and Love. Two years ago, I traveled with a group of other pastors to Ecuador and an organization called Compassion that, that works to help children in poverty. And I went to some places that I've never experienced before, extreme poverty. And I remember looking at these kids um, who are growing up in these areas and thinking, you know what, that's not fair. Just because you were born here and my kids were born in Washington, Illinois, you're both going to experience completely different lives. But I can do something to help. Case and I, we sponsor two different children through compassion because we want to help make a difference in the life of a child that lives thousands of miles away. And you're going to hear more about Connect's partnership with Compassion through the year and other ways that, that you can be involved. But the truth is, we're going to start to encounter these situations both locally, nationally, and globally where, where like Jesus, we could have some anger stir up in us to say, that's not right. I have the ability to do something about that. My prayer is that we would be people, especially if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, in whom anger would rise up in us and we would make the decision to step into that story and bring change. As we do, we'll become a community marked by our questionable anger. People may ask, who are you? Why are you doing that? And we'll share with them the story of Jesus and his questionable anger and the difference that he's made in our lives. A difference that says, you know, I can no longer just, just sit back. I need to step in and, and turn over the tables of injustice, turn over the tables of, of situations in which I can make a difference. Would you praise me this morning? Father, as we look at this subject, many of us probably do need to take a look at our lives and learn from Jesus when it comes to anger. Sometimes we need to step away. Sometimes we need to stay calm. Sometimes we need to pray. Sometimes we need to forgive. Many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, probably get angry a little bit too easily. And we should probably, Jesus, just ask for your help to bring that from an eight to a seven to a six. Just bring that down to where it's not anger that's the sin, but anger leads us to sin, Lord. Help us not to fall into sin through our anger. But at the same time, Lord, we recognize this morning that passivity isn't the answer. There were times, Jesus, where you got angry, when you were confronted by injustice, inequality, 
unfairness, situations that weren't right, and you couldn't just stand by and let it happen, Lord. You stepped in and you turned over the tables. Let us as followers of Jesus, people who desire to live a questionable life, give us the strength and the courage, Lord, not just to walk on by and pretend we don't see it, Lord, but to step into the story and bring change. Lord, we can't do this in our own strength, so we ask that you'd help us in this. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.